Hello listener, are you a Baz Lever yet? England experienced a new high in Hyderabad as Ben Stokes and his team pulled off one of the great test victories, even if it had to fight for the top spot on the day as West Indies also did the unthinkable at the gather. India have a better record at home than Godzilla in Tokyo, but England not only handed them their fourth defeat in 48 matches, they did so after conceding a 190-run deficit on first innings. Despite being in the gutter, they shot for the stars. Ollie Pope's magnificent 196 turning the game around before debutant Tom Hartley capped a personal and collective comeback with a seven-wicket haul. It was rollicking, record-breaking stuff, but then that's what we've come to expect of the Basball era. Joining me to reflect on the new norm, having had 48 hours to collect their thoughts, are Andrew Miller and Matt Roller. But first up, let's hear from our man on the ground in India, Vitushan Ihantaraja. How's it going, Vish? And can you please explain what we just witnessed? So what we witnessed was a team coming from behind, having been 190 runs uh, in arrears to India after the first innings, where on day one, Ben Duckett told us that Ben Stokes' is 70 in what looked a subpar 240 score was going to be match-winning, um, followed by Jeetan Patel, assistant coach, on Tuesday, or rather on day two, tell us that um, this England team never gives up, that they won't be concentrating on the scoreboard, that there is no real pressure, that the runs don't matter, all that matters is how they get to the end point, and... Then both things came true, despite the fact that halfway through this game, it felt like another one of those England test matches in India. Um, it's one of the most remarkable things that I've seen, if not the most remarkable test match I've seen. Um, and I think there, there was a moment... Um, <laughs> There was a moment on day four when they were... Well, maybe when Hartley, actually, Tom Hartley... Uh, removed Axel Patel, caught and bowled after tea when I thought, oh my God, they're going to do it. And I'm so glad that I'm here to watch them do it because, you know, of all the things that they've done under under Ben Stokes, it's been about, you know, doing the amazing and, and doing the remarkable and scoring quickly and attacking in the field. And I think they were asked to go to a place that they hadn't been before. And... Not only did they go there, but they, they skipped there. They were happy to be there. They were happy to be in the in the pits, you know, in the mire. Um, and it showed at the end. They they did a number on on the best team, one of the best teams in the world, um, one of the, the most accomplished teams in terms of making the most of home advantage and making opponents, certainly touring opponents, feel very very small indeed. And you know, we'll probably go into um, how India were, I don't know, culpable in some way. The fact that they're missing Virat Kohli, who of all the people you wanted to chase, uh, Virat Kohli is number one. Um, but it was stunning, really. And the reason why so many people, you know, not just a very excitable me, but so many other people who know what they're talking about, um, regard this as perhaps England's best overseas test win. Yeah, it's certainly up there in that in that conversation, is it? You mentioned kind of the um, the way the game's going after a couple of days. I think Gene Patel's press conference, you know, put, putting it kindly, sounded a bit mad. But I mean, you've seen some you've seen some crazy things. This team did some crazy things under under Stokes and McCullum. At what point did did it begin to 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 dawn? Did you know? Did people realise 
around the ground in the press box say that actually England were in this and actually they were going to do it again. I mean, it, it was the, you know, the Tom Hartley bang, bang at the start, I think. I mean, getting rid of the guy who caught your first ball for six a couple of days earlier um, and then removing Shubman Gill. I mean, you took the, matter the first four wickets, um, having only had two in the, you know, in the first innings because, you know, they were caught a mid-wicket and caught a deep mid-wicket. Um, that was probably when you got sent in the ground as well that, you know, the the India fans were a bit what were a bit like what's going on here, and then when you look down that batting order, while it is deep, it was missing one other superstar, one other superstar that comes in and you know makes the opponent think, right? However hard we worked to get to this point, we now we need to work even harder. Um, but yeah, it was you know, it kind of you with all the talk leading into this series whether it was about selection, whether it was about preparation, whether it was even about, you know, the lack of cricket that these players have played recently. I never thought we'd get four days into the tour where all of it would be vindicated, where all the worries were, you know, don't worry at all. They've got this. Um, four days, yeah. Bear in mind, two days, all those things were still to blame. In fact, we had probably had more evidence to blame those things. Um you know, obviously it's a long series, there's four more tests to go. But I you know, I said at the start of this that um getting a test would be deemed a success. And they've already ticked that off. Uh yeah, well, and in some style, he, um Stoke said it was the the greatest win of his captaincy. I mean, we've talked about uh, you've mentioned whether it's uh, the greatest overseas win of all time. I mean, <laughs> what is it's hard to put uh, uh, this stuff into words, really, but we keep saying it about Stokes uh, and McCullum and Basball. I mean, this kind of it, we're on a level of sort of voodoo Jedi mind trick here as to how um, everything that they, they seem to do pays off. With its whether it's you know bowling, um, they're playing uh, two spinners with one test between them and a handful of first class matches, and then as you mentioned, Hartley's turnaround, you know, getting hit for six first ball. And fourth ball, and and getting two for 130 or whatever it was in the in the first innings, then comes back and takes a seven for um, Ollie Pope, uh, one off 11 in the first innings, and then one of the great overseas innings by an English batter in the second, uh, and it all just seems to run on 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 vibes and and fumes and and you know uh, a wink from Ben Stokes. Well, yeah, I mean, like I don't disagree that it's vibes, but there's also. Um... There's, there's also a lot more to it. Um, and I don't even know really where to start. I mean, you know, the the timeout in Abu Dhabi was really interesting because there was a lot of talk about, you know, they should have gone earlier, that they can't quite replicate the, um, you know, the pictures that they get in India, um, in in the UAE, despite, you know, all the all the money and facilities and the, the quality of facilities, I suppose, um, in the region. But actually, when we got to that fourth day, the wicket that... Tom Hartley was bowling on was the wicket he'd been bowling on in the UAE. It just so happens that rather three than three days of a test match on a pitch that already start, that already was already turning from day one, they got the ground staff in the UAE to rake the pitch. They put sawdust down, they put sand down, um, and because of that, Tom Hartley had ten days or so where all he had to do was find the length and, and hit it. And on day three, 
the pitch that um, Ollie Pope was batting on was akin to those pitches. It was by no means as extreme as those pitches, but because he'd had the experience of doing that, because he'd been, you know, you know, he, he'd been made a fool of on those pitches and, you know, dusted himself off and still kept sweeping, still kept reverse sweeping. He was kind of unperturbed by, I suppose, the false shots. And there were 74 false shots, maybe 75, I think, on our, by our measure. Um, and his enthusiasm remained undimmed throughout. And that is because of the planning, really. And then we can extend it a little bit further in that, you know, they pick someone like Tom Hartley for his height. Um, I think, you know, the intimation there was, well, that we took from it was bounce. When actually it's the dip, when it comes from, when the ball comes from that high, the dip gets batters, I suppose, falling over in the way that maybe they'd fall over sideways uh, in England when the ball's moving about um, horizontally. And you saw that with a few of his dismissals. You know, you can probably attribute Rohit to being done by that dip. Um, you know, maybe Barrett as well, having looked quite solid, was pressing forward and not getting to the pitch of the ball and then seeing it spin past and um, hit his off stump. And there's also, you know, far be it for, um, well, I mean, we might have a few people turning off. Um, you just want to listen to test, you know, about test cricket, especially about one of these great test wins. But there's a lot to be said for white ball cricket in the story of uh, Tom Hartley. He's someone who, across all T20, and that includes the 100, has bowled, you know, just over a quarter, or let's say one in one of his four overs, in the power play where he knows he's going to be hit. He knows he's going to be um, bowling to the best batters in the world. And he knows that, you know, as bad as his figures might be after certain games, he can't take it personally. And obviously he was dismayed by, you know, how badly his first day went, how badly his first ball went in test cricket. But ultimately he was able to shake it off and bowl England to victory, take a seven for, you know, in India. It's, um, it's remarkable. It's absolutely, you know, there, there are vibes involved. The fact that he came off the pitch on day one and he was feeling a bit sorry for himself and all anyone was saying to him was, God, how cool was that six you hit off Ravi Ashwin? Um, but there's also there's also a lot of work that's been put into it that was, that's paid dividends. And I suppose more and more, maybe even before before today, I think we've seen how much planning really goes into all this. You think back to the Pakistan tour as well. But essentially, this was the, the culmination of everything we've seen and a little bit more in terms of what I said before about just being totally up against it and, and not doubting. Yeah, the uh, you mentioned sort of the, um, the planning and the, um, the level to which um, they were prepared for this. And, and I suppose... Well, we talked a lot before about Stokes's captaincy of spin and, and well, captain in general. He he said after the game about how he was basically a very good observer and he'd been watching what India did in the field. Hartley said he'd learned from you know bowling in the first innings, um, adapting and bowled at a slower pace in the second innings. Um, and it's I suppose you know that all shows um, how the England team and, and Stokes McCullum. There's, it's easy to sort of um, to laugh about the way they approach it in quite a carefree manner, but they really have a feel for Test cricket, and 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 as we've said many times, they don't fear losing, um, even when even when you're staring at a 
near 200 run deficit against India in their own in their own conditions, um, and and um, and that has again sort of produced this uh, produced produced um, uh, the magic. Yeah, I mean the fact that Tom Hartley's a third spinner in this um, this era under Stokes and McCullum to have taken a five wicket all on debut is is remarkable in so very many ways. I mean the most experienced of them is Will Jacks, who basically only really took up off spin at the start of that um, 2022 season with Surrey. By that I mean you know only really being pushed by Gareth Bay to be the team's spinner, as it were. Um, and yeah, you know, you're know, you right about him being perceptive. I think what's also really interesting was the way he managed Hartley on that first day <clears throat> by getting him to bowl overs. You know, um, it was said on that evening that, you know, he was never going to be the type of captain to take him off for two overs. And it was, all, you know, and this is at a time when um, Simon Kerrigan was trending, who obviously had that, um, you know, awful debut that he'd never quite recovered from. And you look into that match and Kerrigan was taken off after two overs. Now, I'm not saying that the story would be any different if they kept him on, especially in the game that England had basically written off to try, you know, the, you know, blood a few youngsters. Um, you know, Chris Wokes played that test, of course, but they, they'd won the Ashes. They saw it as, you know, an opportunity to, um, yeah, just see what see what they got, just um, get a cap under someone else's belt. Um, and you know, you wonder without that if if this day four performance from Hartley does come about at all. Um, I thought it was really interesting. We spoke to Tom Hartley after the game, um, and he said that it was really interesting being captained by Stokes because actually it was was something that he had to get used to. He said he you know he'd turn to look at a fielder that was there the ball four and and they'd be gone. They'd be someone out somewhere else. And rather than being like, hold on, where's where's so and so gone? Whether that's cover or, or whatever, he kind of he'd see them maybe like five, ten yards away at a slightly different angle. And because he'd watched Stokes captain over, you know, these last coming up to two years now, he was like, oh, yeah, fine. He knows what he's doing. I'm just doing my thing. And that's quite an important thing. You think constant field changes are the product of, I suppose, a team not really knowing what they're doing. A bowler who doesn't really know what he's doing. A captain who doesn't really know what the bowler's going to do. And maybe I'm being, you know, well, absolutely, I'm being wise after the event and, and you know, tying myself in intellectual knots here. But I suppose, actually, if you know where the bowler's going to bowl it, you can keep your covering positions and you do have a couple of attacking positions to play with, really, don't you? And especially in that um, in that period in the fourth innings when Hartley was getting into that groove, you know, Stokes was just playing around here and there. You'd think, you know, you'd think a, <laughs> tinkering is a sign of, a confused mind when really it's you know <laughs> there's something to be said for Stokes's galaxy brain captaincy because it's been working and it has worked once more um and yeah it, you know it hardly also went on to say that you know it was quite it was like something of a novelty just being being in that moment being in a groove where he'd only ever been in, in the nets where the ball was spinning so much and he just really had to to put it there and, and let the pitch do the work while also you know, not really having to worry about the field. I suppose it gave him, in what was the most important moment of his career, it gave him very little to think about, very little to worry about, and and he excelled. Um, and just a word on uh, on Pope's innings, really, for the the significance he uh, not 
you know, played any cricket. He, he's had shoulder surgery. Um, his record in India was was uh, was not particularly impressive, um, and he and he got out uh, looking pretty tentative in the first inning. So, in, in the context of a, of a five test series, um, that innings takes on uh, even greater significance. Yeah, without a doubt, without a doubt, I think Pope's innings was almost the. <laughs> I don't know. Like it's it's almost like the the culmination of someone's weaknesses into their strengths. Really, you think of all the chat about Ollie Pope was he's got every shot. The problem is he tries to play, you know, a few of them at the same time. He's a bit too slap happy outside off stump. He um, doesn't seem to be able to leave the ball alone, which over here isn't necessarily a bad thing. You know, there's a lot of talk about. You know the the reverse sweep being people's um, forward defence. You know Ben Duckett came out with it before, and Ollie Pope has, you know, taken it on as well. And I think the the important thing to kind of say is, you know, it, it worked in terms of it was a shot that they nailed regularly, and when they didn't nail it, they seemed to, you know, I suppose <laughs> morally nail it because it would always affect some change, whether it was a change in length from the Indian bowlers or a change in the field, a reinforcement in the field of a particular area that seemed to open up gaps and things like that. You know, there was one, there was one Ollie Pope sweep, which he completely missed where he had a man around the corner who was then brought in to, into, um, I suppose what was um, short third. And then he did it again, but he got the ball on the full, presumably because the bowler, I can't remember who it was, was thinking, right, if I get this a bit fuller, it's just going to go through him. LBW, bold, easy. Got it a bit fuller. Pope took a little bit more time on the shot and basically, you know, guided it inside the man who'd just been brought up and away for four. And very soon after that, that man went back. It's just that kind of stuff, which um, which seemed to work. And it felt like every time they were finding a fielder, that was the their equivalent of just you know, knocking it back to the bowler. They're not that annoyed when an attacking shot goes to a fielder, in part because they just play more attacking shots now, don't they? And they're not so reliant on that attacking shot going for four. You know, it can be a dot because there'll be another attacking shot a couple of balls later or a ball later. Um, but I suppose to speak more broadly about Pope, you don't really need to take my word for it. Raul Dravid, who, as we all know, is a modern great of the game, who one of the best players of spin, one of the players that Kevin Peterson, um, a man who loves to essentially work things out himself. Kevin Peterson once emailed him, asked, asked him how to play spin, and he said he's never seen anyone bat like Ollie Pope in these conditions against that caliber of attack. And that really says it all, really. Um, it says it as much as the numbers 198. It says it, you know, as loudly as the, the fact that it, took England to one of their best wins, a, a win that has two main characters in Harley and Pope. It was astounding, really. And I don't really think... I, I don't really think we'll ever fully appreciate how good it is because it was so absurd. And that might be unfortunate, unfortunate for Ollie Pope, but I don't really think he cares. <laughs> well, you've got uh, a, another... Uh... Four tests. You've got a whole tour to try and get your head around it. Um, and giving us a tour, an England tour of uh, India, there might be tougher days to come. Uh, for now, uh, we'll let you go and search for the perfect biryani to round off your week in Hyderabad and uh, speak again soon.
Okay, chaps, uh, we've heard Vish's attempt to analyse what was, quite frankly, a preposterous performance. Um, now you get to have a go. To quickly recap, England won the toss and batted, posting 246 in 64.3 overs. Basball light, you might say. India cruised past them to score 436, and then it all went a bit crazy. Miller, uh, I sense you'll have enjoyed it. What was the most basmazing element for you? Well, you, you, you mentioned, you say there, let's analyse this. The, the, the most extraordinary <laughs> thing about the whole thing is that Basball completely defies analysis. It literally defies analysis. It spits in the face of analysis. It says, I, I hear your analysis. I'm not going to listen to a word of it. I'm going to do it the way I do it. And by completely ignoring the facts, it's almost post-truth the way they go about things. They completely ignore the facts that England do not win in India. They completely ignore the facts that Ollie Pope, who, you know, my, my analysis last week was that Ollie Pope can't cut it in, in Indian conditions. And, and lo and behold, I was correct for about 11 balls in the first innings. And then... Um, it was completely a different Ollie Pope by the second innings because basically somehow he was able to go back into that dressing room at the end of that innings and someone got around him and said, hey, Ollie Pope, you're a superstar. You can do this. Just reverse sweep it. Remember, we practiced all that on those on those crazy wickets in Abu Dhabi and lo and behold, he produces the greatest innings by an Englishman in Asia. So, um, I mean, it's just absolute nonsense. There, there is no analysing basketball at the moment. It is doing its own thing. And the longer it keeps doing its own thing and making its own truths... Um, the more England will win. It, it, it really is an extraordinary um, cultural event that we're witnessing, I think, rather than uh, uh, the cricket team. Hey, it could make this uh, for a short pod. We just sit back and, sh- and shrug. Silla uh, bas ball. Um, uh, Matt, um, we thought at the end of day one, England might have posted a, a competitive total, given some of the, the rank turners we've seen uh, in India in recent times. Um, I mean, it sort of turned out that it both was and wasn't the case. Yeah, it, it's sort of, it, it's a very strange one to reflect on, really. I was listening to an interview that Brendan McCullum did on um, on SEN radio in, in New Zealand after the game and then thinking back to what Ben Duckett had said on the first night as well and sort of um, trying to talk up England's position in the match, even though um, by the end of that first day, India had already made a pretty significant dent in the in the deficit, thanks to um, thanks to Jaiswal's um, assault on Hartley. And in some ways, this sort of fitted what England seemed to think would happen. I think they thought they would bat first. They thought that the pitch would be pretty hard to bat on in the um, last innings, which proved to be the case. I don't think they quite necessarily thought that um, day two would be the as approved probably the best day to bat when it when the pitch seemed to sort of slow up a bit and. Um, didn't offer sort of sharp turn, I suppose, um, for the most part. But um, it, it, in some ways, they sort of seemed to read the pitch very well and realised that the thing that they didn't want to do was was bat last. But then also, um, you know, they, they did also take a, you know, India took a 190 run first innings lead. So um, it didn't quite work out as, as everyone planned. Um, but yeah, it, it was obviously a, a pretty extraordinary win. And I suppose you have the... the, the two-sided element of it of one just the sheer fact of overturning a 190 run uh deficit in in any test match regardless of any opponent is is pretty remarkable but then when you um bear in mind india's recent history and uh the fact they lost three tests in a decade at home uh it's it's all the more remarkable and i'm not surprised that this has already been elevated to the pantheon of, of england's greatest away wins and um, you know, I, I don't think it's just recency bias that makes me think it, it has to be in the top top handful because 
um, you know, when you bear in mind all of those factors, sure, in India were missing a couple of players, but England were too in, in Harry Brook. Um, and were very limited with the amount that Jack Leach, who was their premier spinner, could actually bowl. Um, I think it's an extraordinary win. Um, and regardless of what happens in this series, there will undoubtedly be some kind of response from India. Um, but I hope that it, as a self-contained thing, um, it can be remembered as, as one of England's great triumphs. Um, I was thinking back to that win in Chennai three years ago, which sort of quickly got forgotten by, by what came next on that tour. But um, yeah, maybe with hindsight, people should have enjoyed it a little bit more at the time because um, it yeah, very quickly fell by the wayside and was such a such an incredible win. And this one, I think similar, although um, probably slightly more confidence, I would say, from England supporters that um, this one might last a little longer. Yeah, I mean, it, it sets the, the series up. Um, no doubt about that. Vish uh, said, Miller, that, um, you know, uh, basically before the series of England win one test, they'll have done well. They're, they're one from one. I think you tentatively predicted 5 0, although I d did you row back a bit from that on the last pod? I, I did row back a bit, but, but my point was <laughs> that if, if England go in believing that they are going to win every test, therefore it's got to be 5 0 because they're going to believe each time they go into the test, take each test in isolation, which they do. And they, each test is a, is an England win in waiting, therefore 5 0. So that was my logic. I, I did row back and say, we'll probably end up, they'll win two and then we'll, 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 we'll hedge our bets for the rest. But, you know, that, that, that again is, is kind of how England go about their cricket. They don't, they don't focus on the result. They, they focus on the process. And if the process ends up in a result, then the process has gone well. And if it doesn't, then they pretend it doesn't happen and, um, and, and re realign the truths and on we go. You know, it's a, it is it is extraordinary, but it's it, it as I said before, it's a, it's a Jedi mind trick rather than on the tactic. Um, it's certainly not a gimmick, as it might have been described as uh, by by one of our colleagues on 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 this site uh, earlier earlier on in the in the test match. Um, I mean, there's you know, it's not naming names. There's going to be a lot of humble pie to be eaten by a lot of people all around the world because of the way England are playing their cricket at the minute. It doesn't make sense that England can can just subvert the norms of test history, let alone. Um, test technique and all the rest of it uh, but they have done and they've done so with such an extraordinary confidence confidence is frankly the key confidence is what has allowed them to just walk out into a test match in India and decide you know what the reverse sweep is our most logical way of defending the ball I mean literally that's what England have decided it's like we're not going to prod I mean you know I'm I, Vish was talking about Ben Stokes's influence but it's extraordinary, isn't it? We think back to the start of, um, of the whole Basel era and the, the manic, crazy batting that Ben Stokes was producing. He was almost throwing himself off the off his feet in a, in a in a bid to almost show the rest of his team, look, if I'm going to just play like a clown, then it doesn't matter how you play. And now suddenly it's almost as if he's completely subverted in this test match, having played a very good innings first first time round, second time round, he actually plays the dead bat, perfectly straight, block for your life. Dig for, dig for victory innings that, um, that England have tried to play all down the years and then gets bowled by Jaffa and has gone nowhere. And, it, and in, in so doing, kind of proves the point that, you know what, lads, this isn't the way you do it out here anymore. You do not just play with a straight bat and wait for the one with your name on it. You get down on your one knee, reverse it, ramp it over your head, do whatever you like just to get off strike, get the boundary if it goes to it, but keep the, keep the scoreboard ticking in the between whiles. And by the, end of the, by the end of that second innings, you know, you look at the way that Ashwin and Jadeja, England tormentors year in, year out in Asia, were just being picked off at, at rates that they'd never gone before. Ash, Ash, Ashwin was made to look as impotent as I've ever seen him in a test match, just 
bowling darts at Exeter by the end of it. Well, Jadeja, I mean, he's never been dismissed like that in a home test ever. I mean, both both innings, it was 4.88 the first innings, 3 point something, 3.88 in the second. He's never gone at that rate in a, in a home test in a spell of any significance before in his life, let alone twice in the same test. Um, England have, have laid a marker in this test, which, as you mentioned, the, the Chennai test last time around was extraordinary. It was a very different circumstance back then. It was basically Joe Root playing a masterful innings and the rest of England just clinging on his coattails. Uh, this time around, you know, Joe Root, Ben Stokes, second time around, they didn't actually play huge roles with a bat. It was it was down to everyone else chipping in in the best possible way they could and Ollie Pope playing the masterful innings that we've seen. You know, saw Zach Crawley play masterful innings in the Ashes. We've seen Harry Brook play an absolutely masterful innings in... Um, it was uh, Mount Monganui, wasn't it? Um, you know, we've seen masterful innings have basically cropped up in most of England's recent victories. And they've come from different different people all the way along. And it's because of this belief that, you know what, go out and do your best. We will back you if it goes wrong. And that unequivocal 100% four-square backing every time you go and play a shot is something that no team in the world can replicate. Certainly not India. I mean, this is one of the problems that India are going to have in, the, in, in trying to find a way to fight back here. And it is a fight back now because, you know, the, the, the weight of expectation, the crushing demands of, of a home public that is not used to India losing, let alone being outgunned with a bat. It's a, it's a different dynamic when, you, when you, you're expected to try and fight fire with fire, you know, try and play those reverse sweeps. Are you really going to be able to play the reverse sweeps with the freedom that England are playing with them uh, and risk getting caught with, you know, the fields that Ben Stokes is going to set for those reverse sweeps? It's, you know, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a dichotomy that, 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 that's, you know, on the one hand, England have, have set the agenda here. The other hand, they've set the trap. It's a, it, it works on, on whichever way they, they, they spin it from here. So uh, um, it's going to be fascinating. And um, I mean, every chance that England will blow it like they did in the Ashes, they'll, they'll, they'll lose a match and they could won and all the, all the, all the other things that, that come into the Basball factor. But I don't think there's any chance they're going to take a backward step from here on in. And for that very reason, it's going to be a fascinating rest of the series. Uh, well, 14 wins from 19 now. It's it's clearly going pretty well uh, by that measure. Um, Matt, if we, we can't analyse Basball, we can perhaps um, look at India's response to it. Um, they were, you know, this is a dominant team in their own conditions, um, completely on top for the first two days, but crumbled in the face of uh, a, a risk-embracing knock from, from Oli Pope, but previous top scorer in India, 34. Um, and then a uh, a debutant spinner who'd only bowled in the fourth innings six times in his in his first class career um, coming into the game. I, I mean, I mean it's like this this uh, it surely on some level is India uh, complicit in their own downfall. Yeah, I think that's that's pretty hard to argue with. I think um, generally. I think this is probably about as weak as in- India's batting lineup has been in Test cricket since I can remember, really, and that's even bearing in mind the side that scored 430 odd in the first innings. But um, particularly when you take out Jadeja and KR Rahul in the in the next Test, who have been ruled out with injuries. I mean, you look through the the side that they're likely to play. They're going to be giving a probably a debut to either Rajat Patidar or Safraz Khan. Um, and then they'll they'll probably have a slightly longer tail, I would guess, with 
um, Jadeja not playing just because he can balance the side so well at number six. And if you think of the Indian size that we've had in the last, I mean, 20 plus years, really pretty much in my lifetime, then I don't think there's been an Indian test team that's that's looked worse on paper as a batting lineup. I think there's, there's a stat going around that Joe Root on his own has more test runs in his career than the entire Indian squad for the next test, um, which is pretty extraordinary. So yeah, it may, maybe there is an element of um, inexperience in it. I, I'm not entirely sure, but I, I think it was pretty notable how you know India in that final innings, they actually batted a, a fairly significant length of time within the context of a fourth innings. They batted for 70 overs, but they went at less than three and over. Um, now, if England had been chasing 230 on a on a fourth day pitch, I can I can say pretty pretty happily I think that they wouldn't have taken it much beyond 50, um, probably not even much beyond 40 because they would have thought that the the best way to counter a, a sharply turning ball uh, on a final day pitch was going to be to to have a swing because inevitably you know we we saw with um, for example Hartley's dismissals at Rohit Sharma and and KS Barat's um, two balls that pitched in pretty similar areas one that skidded on and trapped Rohit LBW and one that turned sharply and took out Barat's off stump um, when you consider that England were, were likely to take 10 wickets if they bowl for as long as 70 overs um, so yeah it, it will be interesting to see how India respond to it in the rest of the series I mean they're, they're obviously 2-0 down against Basball now if you bear in mind the edge Baston test in 2022 as well um, and they're also you know They've not won in the last three home tests, which is the first time that's happened in a decade. Um, they they sort of they almost tied themselves in knots against Australia in the third test of that series um, about ten months ago in in indoor, where they produced a raging Turner and and got beaten, and then they drew a high scoring game at Ahmedabad in the last game of that series, where they sort of needed to um, bat out for the draw just to just to keep the series at two one to them. Um, and, and yeah, I, I really don't know where they go from here. Like, what, are they going to start? Are they going to prepare a pitch that has a bit of green on it and back their seamers? I've, I've honestly no idea. Um, because they, as you, as you sort of hinted at, they do seem, um, yeah, I suppose the word is rattled by, by what they, what they're coming up against. Like, um, yeah, throughout that, throughout Pope's innings, I mean, there were, you know, obviously he'd scored quite a few runs by the time he was offering chances, but there were quite a few chances or half chances that weren't taken. Um, there, were, there was a sort of comical misfield at Deepman Wicket. It just looked a little bit like a side that um, that wasn't quite there. And yeah, I've, I've no idea what, what we're going to see from them in Vizag, but they need to respond very quickly. Rattled, I'm, I'm glad uh, someone's used that word. Um, <laughs> I so... had to get a bit. <laughs> uh, well, it sounds like we're definitely on the way to 5-0. Um, Milo, I mean, uh, there were lots, lots of... Um, moments uh individual performances Vish uh, has spoken uh, a lot about um uh pope and hartley but i mean the captain um ben stokes uh, the 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 magic man i mean he, he top scored uh with the bat in that first innings uh he yeah a slightly curious effort second time round um i mean he's he, he seems to have settled actually into his his role now is i'm gonna take as long as I like to get in and then eventually I'll pull the trigger as he, as he did in that first inning of 70. Um, we know about his, his influence as a captain, but there was, there was a, uh, we questioned his fitness and so on after that knee surgery. There was a, a bit of, um, a bit of Stokes brilliance in the field as well in that, uh, in that chase, just, I mean, the India were wobbling clearly. Um, they lost their fourth wicket just after um, T 
it was on that on that fourth day, and and you know you really began to sense England were kind of uh, uh, the, the jaws of the trap were, were closing. But the run out of Ravindra Jadeja was just extraordinary. It was it was absolutely magical because it was on so many levels. Because on the first hand, Jadeja is one of the fastest players in the team, and so. You could tell that Stokes clocked this from the moment the ball came to him. He realised, this is Jadeja, he's quick, I don't have time to field this, I have, I've just got to throw this in mid-air, off balance. He had to trust his knee, first and foremost, which is the greatest, probably the greatest part of the whole thing from an England perspective, is that, you know, the the thing about Stokes, and there was a lot of talk, Bish was mentioning how he'd had to relearn his technique in the nets to remind himself that the, the shots he used to play that hurt him no longer hurt him so he can trust himself again. Here was proof that he can trust his knee because this was a guy who, was, who had to fling himself low, maintain his balance in his knees essentially, and then unleash in midair. It, it, he almost almost got, it came out the side of his hand in, in, the, in the manner of his shy because he didn't have time to line up at all and, and nailed it. It was extraordinary instinct but also game smarts as well realizing the the identity of the player running towards him and the and the need for everything to happen in absolute fast forward um so you know that that's a in microcosm the the, the sort of acute game awareness that stokes has got at the moment i mean he is he is absolutely masterful as a captain and a leader uh i mean we we we, we talk about it on innumerable pods at the moment but the tactical now that he brings to this team is is such a huge advantage in in just bringing through everyone. Not least, I mean, Tom Hartley. We barely talked about his impact and and the way in which he fought back from that that ignominious first over. I mean, you know, we 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 saw Simon Kerrigan trending on Twitter on that first day. It was it was brutal, you know? Simon Kerrigan got battered out of the attack on his debut ten years ago at the Oval. Uh, his first, his figures, in fact, I mean, Matt was was crunching them. I think it was nine overs fifty three, wasn't it, or something like that, or eight overs fifty three, uh, and um, you know, Kerrigan's figures were actually better than 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 Hartley's were at the, at the same point of of his first day in in the job, and Kerrigan never bowled another over again in his Test career, and Hartley instead had Stokes' arm around him, saying, "Come on, lad, keep going." I mean, admittedly, it was helped or hindered, whichever way you want to put it, by the fact that Jack Leach had a knee injury, but equally. I wouldn't be surprised if, if Stokes would have done that anyway. Just thinking, you know what, it's the first test of five. It's actually more important that I get my spinner, who I have faith in, into the game, into the belief that he belongs here, uh, than it is to to win this mini period of this particular passage of this five test series, if you see what I mean. So um, the manner in which he just puffed him up and bigged him up and just allowed him to, to come out in that second innings and do his thing. I mean, there were two factors also that came into it. Vish touched on it in his piece with Hartley yesterday. One of them was Jeet Mattel, whose um, second day quotes were among the most extraordinarily optimistic I've ever ever heard. And yet, you know, you read them back now, and you know, the notion that England were looking forward to batting again in the third innings because the pitch had slowed down, they were looking forward to seeing where they could take it. I mean, it reads like a prophecy, whereas at the time it read like delusion. Uh, but one thing he said to Hartley was, you know, just slow your run up, up, run up, run up, down, and make sure that you just focus on the final split second of your release. And, you know, release point was what got him picked in the first place. And so Patel's advice to him was, okay, forget about running in, forget about rushing through your job. Just remember that release point and part the action from as high a point as possible. And lo and behold, he picks up a seven foot. But the other key factor, and this again is where the, where the psychology is just on a different level, was the fact that apparently all the team just got round Hartley 
I didn't talk at all about his bowling. Just talked about him boshing Ashwin over the top for his for the first six of England's tour, let alone the first six of his career. The first six that anyone scored in this basketball team in India was from Tom Hartley in the lower order. And so the team were bigging him up, pump, pumping up his tyres, reminding him about, oh, wow, what an awesome shot that was. I mean, you, you know, everyone talks about it. There's so many players who talk about how they just feel a million feet tall when they are in this England dressing room. And you cannot deny the evidence is what we've got. You've got Will Jackson in, in, in um, Royal Pindi, got Ryan Ahmed in Karachi, and now Tom Hartley here in Hyderabad. Three debuted England spinners with, with barely a first-class wicket behind them. And uh, three of them now with debut five wicket halls for England in in in, a, in an England Test victory. It's it's absolutely preposterous, and um, it it's such a preposterous fact that it can't be a fluke. Um, Stokes's captaincy, particularly his captaincy of young spinners, is as good as I've ever seen. I mean, you know, the great Shane Warne um, forever said his favourite line about spinners was "spinners need a lot of love." You know, you're gonna bowl a full bunger. You're gonna, you're gonna, you're gonna have a day when someone just clob, clobbers you out of the park, and you've got to come again and do your thing. You've got to have someone who's gonna back you, get their arm around you, pump your tires up, and trust you. And Stokes does absolutely all of that every single time England go out to play, and uh, it's incredible. There is no one, no one like him in ter- in that regard. And you look at Kerrigan's career. You look at any other England spinner who came and went in the course of 20 30 40 years and um, all of them would be looking enviously uh, at what single have got right now and thinking you know, you know what if only i'd had a man who believed in me like that um i i always had the technique i always I could always turn the ball that's why i got picked in the first place but being trusted to do your thing uh, day in day out is another thing entirely and we'll add horse whispering to the list of stokes um attributes um, I mean, uh, it's Hartley, uh, uh, second first-class five for um, Matt. You actually went looking for answers uh, here and, and had a chat with uh, Lancashire spin bowling coach Carl Crow. Uh, let's have a listen to what he had to say. What have sort of been the biggest areas of development, I suppose, for him as a Red Bull bowler? Because um, I suppose looking at what his role is in T20, often just by virtue mm. of his bowler type and when he bowls, he's often quite, I would say, defensive. Whereas obviously he seems to have developed the attacking mm. side of his game quite a lot in Red Bull cricket. Yeah, that's accurate, I think. Um, definitely getting more on the ball, definitely seeing position. Um, you know, I think when we first started working uh, those years ago, the, the screen seam would be scrambled a lot. If you watch some of the footage from this game, seam seems you know pretty rock solid, doesn't wobble, doesn't scramble. So that's definitely an area where he's made significant progress. Um, and um, yeah, the, the, definitely the resilience. You know, you know, we probably all read and heard some things after the first day and you know the people that wrote that might look hard back on themselves and you know reflect maybe they jumped to some conclusions early but if you look at what it is for Lancashire and for Manchester and that probably won't no one would like to hear the 100 be spoken about during the test cricket chat but he bowls tough overs for us all the time he bowls tough overs at Lancashire he bowls tough overs at Manchester he bowls with a short leg side boundary he bowls at the best batters. He bowls at all that that, that stuff, and, and never ever once questions it. Just yep, I'll do it, no problem. And you know, in fact, we were chatting this morning, and we were chatting a lot about you know first innings, second innings, and it's the resilience is built up without a conscious 
conversation around it. It's just what he does. What he does is bowls tough overs, and if he gets hit, just keeps coming back. There's no, there's no, you know, in-depth conversation around it. There's no, you know, talking from a psych perspective. It's just, are you doing it or not? Yes, I'm doing it. And 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 whatever is asked to the team, he just does it. And and the, the, definitely the resilient builds up over bowling in power play. You know, bowling at the best players consistently just becomes a norm for him. So the the you know the resilience to you know, get un- put under pressure in the first innings. You know, there's obviously I mentioned there that you know there's a there's some over the top kind of language used by you know certain people. Um, just what you do is just well that's what it is. I'm just going to get on with bowling my next ball and bowling my next spell and doing the job for the team. And that's what he's done for you know he's got he's ingrained that in his game for three or four years, albeit more white ball. But the resilience people are talking about, it's just uh, it's been built up and, and developed, you know, uh, over the period of time. Does that make sense, Matt? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, it, I was going to ask as well whether there was anything um, sort of specific that the pair of you would have worked on before he went out for India, because obviously this tool sort of seems to have been on his radar yeah. for a little while and he's been preparing for it. Yeah, I mean, yes. I mean, we definitely talked about it. Funny enough, even before that, going back to the summer, you know, we've done some work on his action, and one of the one of the players we were continually comparing to was Jadeja. His action, lots of comparisons, and we've talked about how he bowls, and you know, and, and not just for for India, but for you know, Red Bull. And and as as the India became more and more on the radar, and more you know, obvious he was going to be going, then yeah, there's been lots of stuff. And you know, even again chatting to him this morning, he was able to, you know, what there's there's two things really. There's being able to specifically deliver in, in the conditions. And also adapt to to what he's learned. And he, I think he, I think he read somewhere that he mentioned about facing Jadeja and Ashwin helped him learn about bowling the second innings. And I think there's there's two things, but there's developing his game and then in order them to be able to adapt to what's required. And I think you know there's evidence there that he's gone and done that really. Um, in terms of sort of you mentioned resilience, obviously, but it seemed like he also it was quite good at sort of adapting through the game and learning, as you say, from mm. what he'd seen both both in the first innings and then when he was batting as well. Um, I suppose particularly, um, you know, sort of dream left arm spinner's delivery to get um, Barat on the final day. That would probably be a good example of him of him uh, of him being a, a thinking cricketer. Um, and despite what you said earlier, and <laughs> yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong. He absolutely is a thinking cricketer. I'm probably talking about off field now. That, you know, he gets, <laughs> he gets gets grief for that. But you know, he's absolutely a thinking cricketer. But also, you know, the the Barrett one will get all the and notice. But but the Rohit one that didn't spin and went straight on. Equally, you know, we've talked consistently about beating both sides of the bat as a natural variation. You know, spinning the ball. If you spin the ball hard with that sort of shape on the ball, some will go straight on, some will spin. And again, you know, we keep using Jadeja all the time as a sort of you know, here's a framework to work from. Jaday does, does that very well. Some skid on, some spin. And if that natural variation, you know, got no idea as a bowler what's going to happen, the batter's got no price. And, you know, Rohit played for spin and LBW. And then Barat, you know, again, a, a beauty. The ball's probably landing in a similar position, delivered from a similar angle. One spins, one goes straight on. You know, and, and you know, again, Axar, someone we've talked about learning from him. It's what he does very well. Um, so it's it's yeah. So I think it's learning from what others do, but but adapting that to your own style, mm. really. Um, so and just you know, the one thing we talk about consistently is keep bowling your best ball. And in that, in that you know, I, th- I actually thought you bowled okay first innings. They they obviously went at him for a number of reasons. The context is you're playing your test, they're making test debut, opening the bowling as a spinner against some of the best players spin in the world. 
And I think that that context must almost always be given when you're sort of observing what's going on. But, you know, he got out there and just, you could see, obviously you saw him a little bit nervous to start with and him growing confidence as he went, as he went on. But actually, it's just like to keep doing the same thing. Whatever the batters are doing, whatever the conditions are doing, let it be. Just you know, stay present and keep doing the same thing. And he, he did that, and you know, he's already in the first four days of his Test career, ridden the wave of you know <laughs> international cricket and being in the spotlight. Yes, I mean, Matt, as as kind of uh, you discussed, there very different skill sets uh for for red ball and white ball artley's hugely uh more experienced as a as a white ball bowler but this wasn't just just a hunch um to, you know to to pick him for the test squad um i think as you wrote before uh when the squad was announced this was kind of this was database with the, the ihawk cameras that they use on the county circuit now yeah, and I think from from what I understand, there was a fair bit of research as well, rather than simply um, a case of looking at um, bowlers that have done well in India, and particularly in Axel Patel, and uh, trying to find the uh, the Englishman who had the most similar frame and bowling action. I think there was um, a fair bit of research done on sort of which which factors contribute towards success of, of Test bowlers in India, or have done over the last um, sort of five or ten years. Um, and yeah, I mean, centered on um, you know speeds and release points as their two um, big areas, and and Hartley um, you know measures up pretty well in those. I mean, in white ball cricket, um, which is where you see most of the, the sort of televised speed guns, he's regularly into the sort of low sixties miles an hour, um, you know, over a hundred kilometers an hour, um, and I think that's backed up pretty well by Ivork as well. Um, but I suppose part of the part of the, the skill was the fact that um, he actually. You know, had the had the wisdom to um, to adapt to what was in front of him and actually changed his pace a lot in the in the uh, in England second innings with the ball. Um, you know, he, he was dragging it right back at times and, and varied his pace really well. But yeah, I suppose um, at the time that squad was selected, there was a lot of talk about um, yeah, Liam Dawson, wasn't there? And um, the fact that he'd obviously had a, a stellar county championship season and been overlooked. And I think. Not many people, um, probably myself included, took Rob Key entirely at face value when he said that Hartley had been simply selected on merit ahead of um, Dawson. Um, Key's point was that he had the attributes to succeed in India, um, and much as Dawson had had a great year bowling, you know, at the Aegeus Bowl in the cold, um, that didn't necessarily translate to to Hyderabad in January. And I think most people thought that the the context of Dawson having a pretty lucrative contract in the SA Twenty. Um, was a big determining factor there as well. And in fact, what we've seen is, um, yeah, has very much vindicated um, Key and the rest of the, the selection panel and England's sort of talent ID. Um, that 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 has aged remarkably well so far at this stage, at least, um, in that selection. Because, well, I mean, to be honest, I don't think many people expected Harley to play in this test, let alone to be um, effectively become the main spinner um, or one of two main spinners along with Joe Root because... Uh, you know, Ray and Ahmed didn't have a, a huge role, particularly in the second innings, and and Jack Leach was obviously carrying that knock. So, for him to have impressed quite as he did was, um, yeah, remarkable. And as I say, you've got to doff your cap to um to to the to the talent pathway, the talent ID guys at, at England, and say um, that was a pretty good pick. Uh, England can obviously uh, make uh, you know whatever sort of selection punts they want from now on, Miller. Um, the, the suggestion seems to be that. 
Leach um, might well be fit uh, to play in, in Visica Patnam. Um, there, there was obviously Root took on a, a big bowling workload uh, in in that first test. I think the most uh, overs he's he's delivered in uh, in a match in his in his test career. Um, and Brendan McCullum has even floated the possibility of an all spin attack uh, at some point in the series. Shoah Bashir has arrived uh, after his visa issues. Um, and, and you know whatever England do from now on, I mean, we sort of expect it to it to turn to gold. Yes, indeed. I mean, you know, you could argue uh, that England picked the wrong team for this test and probably had the worst of conditions in many ways because, as Matt mentioned, that first innings it was actually ragging quite a lot because it was a quicker pitch, and so you know, arguably, batting first uh, wasn't the right thing to do. Although batting last clearly, uh, bowling last clearly was. So, um, you know, England's probably in hindsight would have would have wanted two quicks at some stage and yet England in hindsight don't do hindsight England will probably go into the next test thing you know what we'll pick the same team what the hell it's like it's like um on Twitter Peter Miller the cricket geek has a running joke that every time every time a test match finishes he'll 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 he will name his team for the next test match and it's exactly the team that's lost and it always winds up someone 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 gets gets caught by the trolling on Twitter and, and says what a ridiculous team you're you're completely out of your mind this is probably what England will do they'll say you know what what the hell I mean Mark Wood bowls eight overs does nothing um Billy bowled quite quickly had a drop catch He's in. Rayan Ahmed got tonked out of the attack, but he batted quite nicely. He's in. Um, Jack Leach had a hurty knee, but oh, what the hell, he'll be right. He's in. Tom Hartley's gold. He's in. I mean, you know, we, why would you why would you drop anyone? You know, England England is stuck with Zach Crawley through thick and thin because they are absolutely mindful of continuity. They've won an incredible test with the eleven guys on that pitch. Why would you change anything? Why would you? dampen someone's spirits within that dressing room by saying sorry um we thought you were the weak link last week uh, on your bike i mean you know that said i think there is a, a pragmatism has snuck into the england england's baseball very very um surreptitiously i'd add probably as a consequence of of the ashes i think they got a bit of a rude awakening by going two nil down in the ashes by by being a little bit too clever for their own good and then got their act together, started stop sort of banging on about saving cricket and just got on about beating Australia. Uh, and I think there's a little bit more pragmatism has snuck into England by stealth since the Ashes. And so therefore, they're probably in a better place to be able to make tactical switches and 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 mark them up as, yeah, you know, it's just different conditions. And, you know, no slight on Ray Hahn, say, if we decide that James Anderson is a better bet for what's likely to have a bit more grass in Vizag or, or whatever the, whatever the, the reasoning may be. But, Having said that, you know, I would I would not be remotely surprised if England just named the same eleven probably tomorrow. I mean, why not? Forty eight forty eight hours out, seventy two hours out from the start. Just yeah, here you go. Here's our team. Cards on the table. Eat that. I mean, that, that's that's you know they they just they just don't care. <laughs> this, this is part 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 of part of their part of their extraordinary secret of their success. Uh, and well, yes, the the, the problems uh, on the selection front of our Indians to deal with with um, Jadeja out and and Kale Rahul out of the next game. Obviously, Kohli still missing for personal reasons. Um, just one last thing, really, I suppose. But uh, it, it, this was a, a banner day uh, for Test cricket because uh, you know um, a few hours earlier you'd had Shamar Joseph and and West Indies winning um, in Australia for the first time in uh, twenty seven years or whatever it was. Um, I mean, 
KP, our dearly beloved Kevin Peterson, we've been philosophizing on Twitter about what this means. Um, test versus T20. Matt, as our resident young person, um, it, it, <laughs> is this sort of thing, you know, uh, 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 this sort of day when everyone gets really excited about tests, uh, happens, you know, a few times a year maybe. It, it, was that is that enough to make you consign your, your T20 franchise data cards to the bin and say, give me Red Boar? <laughs> Well, of course not. I think, um, I think, as, as with as with anything, you want a balanced diet, don't you? And I think sometimes the, um, you know, personally, I think it's it's obvious that Test cricket has been massively elevated by um, uh, by by a, a generation of players that have grown up on on white ball cricket. I think it's hard to argue with that. Based, especially when you look at this England team, um, I don't think they'd be playing the way that they they have done so successfully if so many of them hadn't um, had the natural inclination to play aggressively having having grown up with uh, limited overs cricket as um if if not on a par with then at least very much in their thoughts as well as first class cricket um yeah i i, I it, it always does amuse me a little bit on on uh, days like sunday where you have people coming out with these incredible statements about sort of the future of the game and everything i think you have to you know clearly that was a, a fantastic day of test cricket um but it, it, you can understand why why um you know why market forces have um ha- have reached the point where they have i mean you know shamar joseph wheeling away celebrating an incredible moment um and drawing huge interest around the world but was watched by i think 3100 people at the gabba which is you know that's a that's a non-league football crowd in england um and, you know, you also have these sort of strange things where people start coming out with, you know, I saw Pat Cummins say after uh, after that game, you know, he was he didn't mind the result too much because he was a, he was a test cricket fan. And I thought it, it, you can only really get away with saying stuff like that in this sport. Can you imagine if after, I don't know, Rory Hodgson after England had lost to Iceland saying it was great to see as a football fan? Um, it just doesn't really work for me. But um, yeah, no, clearly a, a great day of test cricket. But I <laughs> but, but I think. You know, we we see we see these days quite often, and we see the um, we see the response to it is always, you know, something must be done about this, but then nothing is ever done because fundamentally you have a small number of self-interested boards controlling this game, and um, that's been the case for you know, if not just just the last decade, it's probably been the case for pretty much the the, the history of the sport. Um, and much as it would be great to see something change, and I do feel there is some level of um, groundswell against. Um, the power of of T20 leagues, particularly, I think the ILT20 and the UAE, which obviously offers such um, competitive salaries, and with the time of year and with the clash of SA20, seems to to me to be the um, the biggest sort of problem out of any franchise league at the moment. Um, I, I just I, I think the genie's out of the bottle. You've got players already over there. You've got the tie-ins with IPL franchises. I think unless that league. Um, fails for commercial reasons that I just can't really see anything changing and I think that's the that's the reality of it what a what a, what a positive upbeat note to end the pod on <laughs> well isn't it it's, it's all just lip service isn't it I mean you know I, I you know I'm yeah correct. I'm, I'm, absolutely I'm very willing very very willing incidentally to eat some humble pie here because I wrote off West Indies like everyone did I mean I I, I said it was a disgrace the team they'd sent out there not a disgrace on the part of West Indies because they they as Matt eloquently put it are are victims of circumstance. I, I, I didn't blame, didn't, didn't say they were weaklings. I said they were victims of circumstance in that, you know, for all the reasons mentioned, 
they can't pick their strongest side. And so for them to go and do what they did is absolutely magnificent. But it counts for absolutely nothing in the bigger picture unless some administrators seize on to the momentum, seize on to the excitement, seize on to the fact that people give a damn about this and monetize it. And, you know, as far as I'm concerned, it's, you know, increasingly looking as though I, I'm looking at England, frankly, the ECB and Cricket West Indies really ought to, you know, Donald Trump's trying to tear up NATO. But I think I think there's a North Atlantic Treaty organization that the that, that, that West Indies England should should be looking into right this minute, to be perfectly honest. I think there's an awful lot to be said for for the, those two markets combining. They are the favourite destination of England tourists in the winter to go out and watch watch in the Caribbean. Everyone loves it. And everyone loves the West Indian players succeeding. And I think there's an awful lot of sense in in the ECB thinking, you know what, West Indies should perhaps be a pet project of ours because we care about Test cricket. And if everyone is going to forever say, oh, Test cricket is so much better if West Indies are strong, well, someone needs to bloody make them strong. Someone needs to inject them some proper funding, give them a chance to be strong again, be competitive, be a, be a proper player in the world stage rather than relying on a guy like Shamar Joseph who played an absolute unequivocal blinder. But, you know, his, his subsequent comments saying, I'll always be available for West Indies, I'll always put Test cricket first. I mean, I'm sorry, that's lip service. I mean, it, he's, of course he's got to say it at that moment, but there's absolutely no bloody chance when he, when he gets thrown a massive IPL contract next week. It's like, you know, I, I'm sorry, Shamar Joseph, it was a wonderful moment, but you probably won't be seen again in Test cricket in the, in the, in, in, in the, in the carefree guys that you produced at the Gabba so wonderfully because you will be a, a pawn of Rajasthan Royals or whatever it is and, um, and off you go. It's, it's the market will talk unless someone somewhere at an administrative level decides the market needs to be broken up and reformed and the only way you'll do that is with a bit of bit of vision and a bit of bit of inspirational leadership frankly because otherwise you're just gonna get to this endless cycle come to a day like this every two or three years saying oh isn't test cricket wonderful it's like, yes it is we know it's wonderful you keep bloody saying it's wonderful do something about it save it god damn it can i make the point quickly as well that um that but for the ILT20 and for Jason Holder's huge contract with Dubai Capitals, uh, Joseph might well not have actually played at the Gabba as well. So that's the that's the controversial line that no one wants. Why West Indies actually have Dubai Capitals to thank for their winning victory? <laughs> <laughs> there we go. I, I, I hope to read that piece on the site soon. Um, and yeah, certainly I think a manifesto for... Uh, uh, a manifesto of helping West Indies win more in Australia is one that most Englishmen can get behind. Um, I think that's enough from us for today. There are four more tests left in the series and we need to keep something in the tank. Uh, the Vizag test starts on Friday with India in a spin and not the way they like it. We'll be back next week to see whether England defied the odds again. Until then, my thanks to Miller and Matt. Please feel free to rate us on your preferred pod platform and stay tuned. ESPNCrickInfo.com for